Welcome to the Guardian Podcast with me, Rin Melberg, and thank you for joining us today. In this edition of the podcast, um, we'll be talking with David Hussman. And Dave is someone that I've kind of known in the Twin Cities Agile community for several years. Um, we were even at the same client together for a while. Um, and he's very been very prominent in the Twin Cities uh, community for a long time. He has uh, founded DevJam, which I'm sure most of you, especially here in the Twin Cities, have heard about, and also helped to start up Agile Days Twin Cities. Um, so one of the things that he and I are um, very aligned on and really passionate about is something called product agility. So we're going to talk about some of that today. Um, so David, Dave, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So for those who don't know you yet, um, can you just share your background, how you got involved in Agile and, you know, what you're really passionate about these days? Well, whether I can do that or not sort of remains to be seen because I've done it so poorly <laughs> so many times. Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> you know, somewhere in like the end of the 90s, I was a tech lead of a small team. And I was sort of frustrated because it was my first foray into like, you know, a big IT shop. I cut my teeth in a small company where we did a lot of stuff that's now called Agile. We just didn't call it Agile. Like we did a lot of pair programming that we just called working together. You know, and I didn't know that I grew up in this really great collaborative outcome-based ecosystem. And so I'm Mm -hmm. supposed to be the tech lead on this team. And we're supposed to be following, you know, all these processes. But I look around me and I'm like, well, no one's following these processes and the people that are, it's not really working for them. And it was really interesting because uh, we had someone that was our BA and she was brilliant and she wrote really well. So it wasn't like the Mm -hmm. requirements weren't clear. Yeah, I, I sort of looked at my team and said, man, we don't have our hands on the rudder. We don't know why things are breaking when they're breaking. And when she comes to us and asks, is what's done we don't know because we're working on a whole bunch of stuff at the same time and i read one of kent beck's early white papers from tektronix and i was like this sounds like how i used to work and that you know zoom forward i'm like the accidental coach because they said hey can you do that with other teams and i said i don't know i can try and that's how i ended up <laughs> in the whole coaching slash agile space it wasn't just a happy accident that's so funny. And can you tell us about how you started DevJam? DevJam came because, you know, I didn't, I wasn't long for being an employee. I think I'm a pretty terrible employee, you know, because <laughs> I'm probably too mouthy and opinionated and I have a hard time finding my way in the status quo. But I'm not bad at like being a consultant or a coach um, because uh, I just sort of feel like I love helping people learn to get better and help themselves. And so mm-hmm. once I left employment, <clears throat> I was only there for about six months. I started another company, and DevJam's a fast follower to that company. And I kind of—I uh, was in a bad way when I started it. And I crowdsourced my name, and I sent people a big list of names, and they said, "Choose two you hate and two you like." And everybody loved DevJam. I thought it was like a last-minute edition where it was like developers jamming. And I founded it because I knew all these people that I thought were really skilled who also sort of hated working in big, heavy ecosystems. And they Uh wanted to, like, 
you know, they weren't saying, hey, I want fast feedback and I want to be collaborative and I want to do test driven. I want to have continuous integration. But boy, when you gave them all those things, they were way more fulfilled than working in a long, drawn out cycle where, you know, hope just loomed on the horizon. (laughs) Right. And they also want, and part of that fast, you know, frequent feedback that I find is they can connect with their work with some usefulness, right? There's some purpose to it. When we have these long drawn out cycles, it's really difficult. You actually have to work really hard to connect your work to the value you just created for the customer or somebody, right? Because it takes so long. And by that time, so often I found early in my career, by the time something went into production and we got customer feedback, I was already on the next thing. Uh, and what you right? said, I think, I'm not working on I, that anymore. Uh, I'm yeah. like, oh, well, that's interesting. Well, that feedback would have been helpful, you know, 18 months ago, guys. Right? I'm already on this next thing. <laughs> I'll just you. Put, right? I, I think people <laughs> want to have a sense of purpose. What you said, I think, is brilliant and, and unstated too often, especially sometimes when people get lost about Am I doing the process right? I don't know. What are you producing? You know, what is it? What does it look like? Are the people working on it proud of it? And that's pretty right? important stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can can they really understand why the hell we're doing this? Right. It's like yeah. that. It's an old book. It's from the nineties, but that one about the power of why is yeah. just so true. And it's and I love that book. I would. I'm going to out myself. I was a philosophy major when I was an undergrad. Um, And philosophy is just asking the question, why? That's all it is. And it's really the most, I think, one of the most human things we do. And so that purpose connection is gigantic. When I was writing songs, my songwriting partner was a philosophy major. And he always used to like, paint these weird continuums like we were either like hugging babies or killing angels and I was like wow why do you do that and I realized when he made one of those ridiculous statements like what would a Martian think and I'm like why does that matter he was just trying to say the world is like a continuum there's not it's not absolute you know and right. you got to start exploring yeah yeah so getting that purpose and why that I think leads us nicely into talking about product agility right? Mm-hmm. And you've been doing a lot of work. It's actually one of the things you're known for in the Twin Cities is work around product agility. You want to tell us about it? You've got a website and everything. Um, uh, what have you been working on? <laughs> <laughs> I have a website. I hope that's not my epitaph. He had a website. <laughs> <laughs> You have <laughs> technically you have more than one website there. <laughs> so, <man. laughs> he had websites. <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of feel like when I started my career, you know, in as a programmer, I worked with two other engineers and musicians and we built this music product and I didn't know there was anything but product agility. Now we did we weren't really responsible about fast feedback loops and we didn't have continuous mm-hmm. integration. But we went to trade shows and we decided to stand in front of my booth and give demos. So I talked to customers all the time. And I didn't know that people didn't do that until I went to this big IT shop. And not only did they not ever talk to any customers, they didn't get anything done. 
it was just shocking to me. I thought, how can so many people get paid to get so little done? And I felt like I was so frustrated that I probably took a real big lead from like, you know, the engineering side of XP. I was enamored with the idea of story cards and, and the idea of a customer role, but I, I felt like I worked so hard to say, let's get stuff done iteratively. And every time I started uh-huh. getting pretty confident with that, I started thinking, boy, you know what? The next question is way more ambiguous. It's, are we doing the right thing for the right people? And that's hard uh-huh. to automate. And so the productagility.org website is totally a shout out to the people that wrote the manifesto and all the neat thinking that went into that. And I just, I gathered a group of people together and I said, what if we sort of rewrote this where it wasn't so much about the process and it was more about the product and being able to deliver stuff still matters because sometimes the only place to learn is in production. But there's, I was at a company today that builds operating systems and the nature of what they're doing is pretty complex and any one team doesn't win the day. It's a collection of group people working together and it's hard to just instantly deploy stuff into production. It's just not the nature of delivering, you know, uh-huh. many operating systems, even Linux. You know, they deliver kind of like small things in, but they also have a release cycle because you can't just plop a new operating system in a, like a large complex ecosystem. And I feel like when there's a lot of complexity in the delivery side, we could put a little bit more energy, significant more energy into the discovery side of things and say, what things can we learn outside of production to help us build less of the wrong thing? That's been one of my jokes for a while is one way to get more done <laughs> is to spend the same amount of energy doing less of the wrong thing. It seems pretty uh-huh. obvious when you say it out loud. <laughs> Every time I tell my wife or my mother, hey, we just discovered it's important to build less of the wrong thing. They look at me like, this might be be why so much software is crappy. Because everybody else knows that. <laughs> well, yeah, we've known that for a long time, right? Because I always think of um, Excel. When Microsoft, for the first time, actually sat down and got real user feedback on Excel, they found out that 80% of it was never used. Right. They they were doing that's that's right. That's classic for a long time. Right. Right, but that's classic of of, and ever since then they're like, let's do less of that stuff that's never used. (laughs) And they've been taking more and more of it out with each each release and just focusing in on the pieces that people actually use and care about. And it's so it just seems so common sense, but in practice, it's not always the easiest thing in the world, right? To figure out what are those things that really don't make sense. And sometimes you got to do, one of the things I always tell my clients too, is sometimes you have to do the wrong thing to figure out what the right thing is. And that's why it's, right, (laughs) that's why it's better to do a short, fast experiment just to get something out there so you can get feedback than to spend months doing all these requirements gathering and interviewing. Because sometimes the user doesn't know until they have something in front of them to react to. 
Right. Yeah, that's what Elon Musk said recently. He said, "We don't ask people what they want because they've never seen a Tesla, but we do show <laughs> it to people and learn from them." That's it's a really interesting comment because I think a lot of people say, "Well, you got to listen to your customer," but like Ellen Cooper said to me once, "You listen to what people say, but you don't just do it." And that to me feels like you don't have to produce something and deploy it into production to learn from people. It's not a new concept. It's just. I think too often people get excited, like I was this way. Look at us, we're getting stuff done. Let's get more stuff done. But that sort of assumes that what you're doing is right. And that's, I think, too often a dangerous assumption. I call it mythical certainty. <laughs> we got our backlog, we just got to get it done faster, right? No, no, we need to learn faster. Well, and I think that also goes into something else that we've been, you know, our industry has been talking about for a long time and maybe not quite as bluntly as I'm known for doing. But, you know, every year the General Accountability Office, you know, publishes, and it's usually, you know, May, June, that time frame, how much was wasted in projects in the prior year. And when they look at waste, it just means that the project did not meet expectations by 50%. So that's, that's a lot of wiggle room, right? Yeah, right. And <laughs> the number has been around $100 billion a year in the United States, a trillion dollars a year worldwide for years. <laughs> and that's just all this work for people are like, we're going to heavily invest. And trying to know all this stuff up front, we're going to have these processes, you know, all this governance and, and phase gates and all this stuff, right? And it, it doesn't get them the outcomes that they think they're going to. Nope. So why don't you tell us about more about product agility and does it get people the outcomes that they need? Maybe not necessarily what they think they need, but what they really mm-hmm. need. I don't think any process magically gets people the outcomes or the impact they're looking for. But I do think Mm -hmm. like if we measure things that are meaningful, we can learn faster about how wrong we possibly are. So I sort of laid it out like instead of forming a scrum team, let's form, you know, more of a product team, more of a whole team. I just got an email from someone who was referencing this site called Balanced Team. And it came from something that Jeff Patton and I did before the 2000 uh, Agile Conference. <clears throat> and we we got together a bunch of people from the design community and a bunch of people from the development slash Agile community. And we tried to kind of say, you know, where do these things fit together or not? And the thing that came out of it was this balanced team. So, all you know, do you have a combination of design, engineering, and product? Or, or Mario Kagan talks about valuable, usable, and feasible. There's like lots of ways to sort of frame that. And then the next part is trying to do what I just simply called like early discovery. You know, if you and I decided to start a company, I'm not sure the right thing for us to do is to just sit down and start iterating. Like, why would we not want to think a little bit and just do some discovery? Everybody does it, even if they say they're super agile. It's a matter of like what the feedback cycle is become between when you come up with an idea and when you build it. And then I tried to like, reframe planning and i call it like planning to learn and what i've been doing with groups is kind of saying 
let's focus on like, you know, building a product oriented plan, roadmap, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But let's have it be measurable, measurable based on the impact that we want, not the progress we're making. And I'm not down on measuring progress. I just think that a lot of groups are overconfident because they're making progress. They're building the right product. And that's, so that's a false assumption. And then the, the parts that I'm really jazzed about, if you look at like the little graphic mm-hmm. that we came up with, instead of saying, let's do a design sprint and then we'll do six sprints, that feels pretty old school to me. It's not as long as the old school cycle. It's like, what if we right. said for the next <clears throat> week or two or whatever cycle time we want, what's our next best investment? Is it in doing learning outside of production or quote unquote outside of the code? Or is it, you know what, right now we need to deploy some stuff and, and get some get it out there in the production space. That's a really neat challenge to say, is the next best investment to learn in production or outside of production? And I think far too many agile teams just assume that we gotta ship stuff. I'm like, well, that's not always the right learning model. That's a <laughs> learning model. But right. you know, I heard Jeff Owen say brilliantly once, the only code with no bugs is no code. <laughs> like, that's a funny <laughs> joke, right? That's brilliant. But, and, but I mean, everybody you know, who's coded it. knows it's true. Yeah. Right. If you don't <laughs> if you don't build it, you don't have to fix it. So uh-huh. what if we could do a little bit of learning? Let's put some more energy into learning outside of the code as well or outside of production as well as inside production. And that's why I was trying to put in the like sort of continuous learning piece. Um the next step right. of the productagility.org site is to add a little bit more content in there. And so I've been interviewing people and trying it out with people, and um, I'm behind on adding the content, but I'm going to probably do it before Agile Day Twin Cities this year because I'd like to maybe try and get some live feedback from people of, like, do you agree with this? Does this resonate? Uh Is this actionable enough? I want to ride that fine line of not just telling people what they should do, but trying to kind of give them ideas of things they can do. Ward Cunningham said to me once on, on at Angels Day Twin Cities on November 11th, 2011, which also happened to be heavy metal, National Heavy Metal Day, 11-11-11, Ward was the keynote, and he did it through like video, and he said, well, I think the Angel Manifesto was good because we left the best parts out. That's what I'd like to try and emulate again. Give people a framework that's challenging but not prescriptive. But I think what what they left in, some of what they left in, and this this is my opinion, but um, especially the focus on software, using the word software instead of product, has really messed people up a lot. And I really suspect that that's why, um, well, everything we're talking about is business-centric. Agile transformations tend to go through in the through the IT organization, and they struggle until someone in the business or the IT people can convince the people in the business this is valuable and you should be taking a look at that. Um, but everything we've talked about so far today, right, has really not that much to do with your traditional IT organization. It's talking about the entire organization and why your business exists. Right. And that's really talking about business leadership. 
But somehow that word software gets stuck in people's heads and they get kind of absolutist, right? We've seen some people are very puritanical about the Agile Manifesto, right? You have to take every single word as is, right? You can't iterate off of that. You can't expand from it. You can't grow from it, right? And so Agile can only, and I've seen people make these arguments in conferences, only be applied to software and nothing else. And it's like, why not? If what we're really talking about in that context is software as a product, that means that this thinking, what we're learning about how people learn and how people do their best work, that applies to all products and services. Agreed. Not just code-based I, I, I used to use the manifesto as like a tool for teaching, and I would put it up and I would say, you know, sit at your table, and these guys, these people made this statement, but it's just a statement, and it's to be interpreted. So talk about <laughs> what you agree with, what you disagree with, and what you would rewrite yep. it. And over the years, that line, working software over comprehension and documentation, is like, boy, that's a pretty pathetic bar in 2018. You know, working software, I hope you have working software, right? If not, you know, <laughs> shut it down right now, man. But, <laughs> well, you know, but in you know, 2001, coming right. out of Y2K, where right. everybody was just like, I can't believe two stupid fields almost messed everything up. Uh, or, or changing a field to for, for character length instead of two is really what it was. But um, I get why that was almost revolutionary, right, right. at that time, time frame. But, yeah, right now, that is kind of crazy. <laughs> but we still are struggling. Yep. Because yeah, because it is a it is like a you know a declaration of independence. I remember afterwards, like a there's a project management group that wrote this declaration of interdependence, and instead of like four lines, it was like twelve pages. And I was like, you guys are just making the point, right? This is not the right <laughs> way to go. Like you just the more words things have, the more they more quickly they rot. It's sort of amazing that those four lines lasted as long as they did. And I, what I, what amazes me is how there still isn't really that much pushback and people saying, okay, but what about this? And what about that? I mean, there are still some, some, I think to your point, some critical thinking we should be applying to it. And we should be asking ourselves, does that still really apply to today? And if it doesn't, then how would we rewrite it? Right. What makes more sense for our organization? And can we do the right mindset to rewrite it so that we're staying true to the spirit of agility in the manifesto? Um, versus one organization I can think of who wrote their own Agile manifesto and it looked like a project manager's checklist, <laughs> to be honest with you, <laughs> because they hadn't made the mindset shift, right? They were still thinking in that very kind of waterfall-y uh, way. <laughs> so um, I think one of the things I noticed about um the productagility.org site is a lot of emphasis on teams. 
and the team being able to do their work. I mean, like the very first thing, right, is if I remember correctly, it's about forming the teams and the teams bonding around whatever the product or service is, right? What hit me when I read that, I kind of wanted to ask you about it, is that reminded me of my American Express day. And that whole company um, has been aligned Everybody is aligned to a product or service, right? And what happens, what happened for me and a lot of people around me is you fall in love with your product and you fall in love with your customers and you have a totally different level of engagement and you want your product to just kick ass and you want your customers to just be really delighted with what you you made for them, right? Um, and they often we had personas and we had names. <laughs> um, we had names for them, damn it. So it would be like, does Jill, is Jill going to love this, right? Um, and that's what that made me think of. You know, it reminds me of, you know, those days when I read that. I thought, damn, that would be a really, that was a fun place to work. And I was kind of wondering if that was kind of the environment you were thinking of where, or not just you independently, or you plural, because I know there were other people involved in writing this, but that's the kind of thing you guys were thinking about, where the people who are on those teams are just really passionate about their product and their service and their customers, and we want to do the absolute best for those folks that you can. And it goes back to what you said earlier, it's like, when people see the importance, especially when it's the importance of the impact that they're having on someone or mm-hmm. the lack of impact or worse, the damage they're inflicting, you know, right? Like hopefully the people with souls are going to say, Oh, I really want to sort of do right by these people. And I think you don't have <clears> to have like the most popular go faster cool product to do that. I, I've worked on things that, that like domains that I wasn't very interested in. But I was really excited to be part of it because I felt like, look at the impact we're having. We're making someone's life better. I mean, Steve Jobs wow. quotes are always boring, but Steve Jobs used to say, <laughs> you know, make the world a better place. I want to be involved right. in making the world a better place. I sort of feel like one of the messages I've been trying to communicate to the engineering house, and I think like what you were saying is that idea of working software it spoke to the constructionist nature that we were so bad at in the nineties. And it, and it really challenged people to say, Hey, table stakes are, you can't be crappy anymore. You're going to get stuff done. You can't, if you can't be a hospital that kills every other patient and say, well, we have a 50% success rate. You know, that's not okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Like the places where I've seen people be really fulfilled and passionate and they innovate, are places where they're bonded around the thing they produce and the impact it's having. And that doesn't mean you don't have any process. But when people get bonded around the process, that feels weird to me. So I think it's, you know, I sort of feel like it's time to stop talking about scrum teams because then people sit around and have arguments. Are we doing scrum right? I don't know. Is that really... Is that really the point? The point is to produce really things that are really meaningful to people. If Scrum helps us do that, super, then I'm all in with Scrum. But if it doesn't, I want to look critically at the process we're doing in light of the product we're producing. I'm thinking about making a t-shirt that says, 
don't follow the process until you're following the product. Because I think that would be a, a way to get people thinking about, hey, they're both important, but like what the Anna Angel Manifesto was written in what Ward said, what's well, sort of this this over that language? That's how he thinks about things. He's kind of a right, thinker. Right. And it seems like it's time for it to say, Product over process. While we value the thing on the right, we value the thing on the left more. Yeah, well said. Um, so with a little bit of time we have left, I mentioned earlier that Agile Day is coming up. Um, do you want to talk to us, share with us uh, what's happening on November 17th in the Twin Cities? I will with the caveat that hope I don't say I don't frustrate people so it's like been sold out for weeks in advance. I know, like I'm not gonna be there, so (laughs) 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 like well that it it, it was fast. It was it sold out fast. Because I got the email and I should have just registered right then and there. I did not. I failed. Um (laughs) it was sold out by the time I got to it. But you guys yeah. got a, a really great things coming on, and the organization's um, really good about sharing that out after the fact. So, do you want to talk about some of the speakers and events that are going on at uh, Agile Day this year? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of it is the themes that you and I have been hitting on. I mean, I noticed mm-hmm. people like a friend of mine who's from Finland who works for this funny company called Reactor. Every year, every year they do their logo in like a new 80s metal band style let's say have like a slayer one and a metallica one and he's he's like such a diligent person about like test driven as a design tool not as a panacea for testing it's an automated tool and i brought some people in like that that are very focused on that um there's a guy coming from the walmart one of the walmart coaches to talk about you know that problem in the javascript realm but then I also have, you know, we also invited people that are like real strong product thinkers. And then we invited, you know, a handful of like local people to tell their story because like one of the reasons we start, I started in the first place was I sort of felt like, you know, big national conferences are nice, but boy, small local gatherings are really great because you can talk to each other. So the structure is the same every year. There's speakers in the morning and a complete open space in the afternoon. Uh-huh. It's going to be interesting because we're going to do an open space that's for like 425 people. So <laughs> we've done that. That'll be interesting. I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to, this is going to blow up on me, but we've filled up like, you know, 20, 20 open space areas with three different slots. And then one of the things we're doing this year is we're going to end the day with sort of the wrap-up you do in an open space, but also some lightning mm-hmm. talks. So anyone that has an experience that they want to share out, you know, just got to stand up and talk about it for a few minutes. So I I hope I hope people participate because I always wanted the conference to be like, you know, by the Twin Cities people for the Twin Cities people. But there's some pretty neat people kind of coming in from out of town who are really excited. And, you know, if you can't attend, I think you can sort of blame me. And it's kind of my fault, right? I <laughs> could have picked a bigger venue. I, I I feel accountable in some way. Well, I, I I remember asking last year. I think it was last year. Um, when exactly are we going to give up and just move into the convention center? because <laughs> yeah. oh, it was packed. And I and I do um, encourage people to get on the wait list 
um, that's how I got on, got in a couple years ago. Um, so there are people who do cancel, but if you're not on the wait list, you're never going to know and you're never going to get in. So I encourage you to check out Agile Days Twin Cities. Um, and then of course, check out devjam.com. Um, I know you guys have posted um, information from Agile Day there before. Is there any other sites that people should check out if they want to see what happened at Agile Day? That's a really good question. Last year, um, maybe it was for one of the jam sessions we did in the basement at Dev Jam, but we brought in a videographer. And I think we're going to do that this year for Ad Space Twin Cities. So we might not be able to record all the sessions, but we can record a handful of them and then maybe like dynamically grab some open space sessions. And those will probably be posted up on devjam.com like early December. That would be really awesome. Yeah, I, I think people would love that. Um, I know I would I would definitely check that out and, and watch that. Especially well, actually I was gonna say, especially the open space, but really both. <laughs> Much both. Because <laughs> um, I love open spaces. You just never know um what people are gonna talk about and there's always something interesting, something new that you're gonna gonna learn. So great. Um, so I want to thank you, Dave, so much for being here today. Uh, first time we've actually had an extended conversation, which was awesome. Um, lately on the podcast, we've been talking about the fact that Agile is not something to be attached to, not something to be a purist, um, that even just adding it on to existing processes isn't going to fundamentally change your mindset or fix those problem areas in your organization it often takes something a little bit deeper and more meaningful um so i hope you benefited from our conversation about project agility and you guys learned more um check out dev jam check out agile days and i definitely think you should check out the um, projectagility.org um as always you can reach me on rinmelberg.com. You can hear our um, podcast on iTunes and on SoundCloud. So thank you, everyone, from from my heart to yours. And uh, that was another edition of the Guardian podcast. Thanks, everyone. Bye.